podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 237, Opposing Bases, Air Traffic Talk with Romeo Hotel and Alpha Golf, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Hello, folks. Welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Today, we have a special guest, Romeo Hotel and Alpha Gulf from Opposing Bases Podcast. But before we begin, a few announcements. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full-year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com. And don't forget, uh, AviationCareersPodcast.com, there's uh, some new scholarships out there. 79 new scholarships, four updates, and a new category called Scholarships for Adults. Uh, if you want to help people get a scholarship, easy way to do that, become a patron of this podcast uh, by just donating $1 a month. You can make a difference in someone's life. You know, every $10 we raise, we actually give away one scholarships guide, and that will change somebody's life, whether they're going to get an instrument, maybe they're going to get their private, etc. move forward in their career and their life in aviation. Now entering cruise flight. Anyway, with fur- without further ado, we have uh, with us some really interesting guests here, Romeo Hotel and Alpha Golf from Opposing Bases Podcast. Uh, and uh, before I bring them in, I do want to say hi to everybody, uh, our co-hosts here. We have quite a few. First, we'll start off with uh, Tom Frick. And Tom, welcome to the podcast and uh, good to hear from you again, man. Hey, Carl. Up here in North Florida and uh, self-quarantining and social distancing. (laughs) And uh, we'll head all the way out to the West, Sean Moody. Sean, uh, great to hear you back on the show again. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, good to be back. Good to see everybody, or at least hear everybody, and look forward to the conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Russ Rosleski, Russ, uh, moving back towards the east here. It's uh, good to hear from you, Russ. Beautiful weather in Oklahoma today, Carl. You bet. <laughs> and then uh, Bill English, good to hear from you. Uh, it's great to have you uh, here on the podcast again. Yeah, I'm back in chilly and windy northern Virginia. Right around the corner from me is Larry Overstreet and, uh, of course, Tom Frick, I should say, in the in the panhandle right there. And uh, it's great to have everybody and all the co-hosts back on. Hey, guys, welcome to the podcast again. Hello. Um, before we get started... A couple things I do want to mention. We we really enjoy helping other people with the podcast world, and and something that I think is really important is to pay it forward. And I love having people on this show that are doing something and changing people's lives by educating people through their podcast and through their lives. And uh, two people that are doing a great job of that are uh, Romeo Hotel and Alpha Golf from the Opposing Bases Air Traffic Talk podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us, Carl. This is Romeo Hotel. We certainly appreciate you inviting us. It's going to be a fun night. <laughs> and Alpha Golf, yep, very good to be here. And some inside baseball. We, uh, you know, they both of them are involved in uh, air traffic control and uh, know what technical difficulties they're like. I know when we uh, we got started with this podcast, we we had a few of our own and uh, got a bit of a delayed start. But uh, we're kind of used to delays there in the uh, airliner world, aren't we? 
Yeah, it's it's actually refreshing to know that there's other other shows with some tech issues. We've had our fair share too. So. <laughs> Starting something new, yeah. They uh, well, anyway, before uh, the, let's get started with uh, the show. But before we get started, I do want to mention one thing. We're getting a lot of questions from people, and I'm sure you guys are interested in this. Um, you know, Sun and Fun uh, was canceled, but a lot of people are wondering what they can do with their tickets. Don't forget, we have a, a YouTube channel that we've been posting videos on, and Larry and I did this video about Sun and Fun from Home. 2020. One of the things we described in there, and I really like you go back and listen to that video and watch the video, is what you can do with your tickets at Sun and Fun. And uh, they are going to honor your tickets, and you're still going to be able to go to Sun and Fun, but you uh, we're trying to convince folks maybe uh, donate your tickets if if you could uh, maybe look at the amount of money you would have spent at Sun and Fun possibly look towards donating that because there's a lot of outreach that they do at Sun and Fun and the Aerospace Center for Excellence uh, throughout the year so uh, anyway you can see more about that in the in the video but uh, but getting to opposing bases you know uh, air traffic talk I think a lot of people have some reticence to talking to air traffic controllers, et cetera. And I know um, we also are constantly learning about uh, how to say things, what a clearance is, and uh, we, we have a lot of challenges there. But you guys have done a great job of bringing people and bringing them into your podcast and helping them move forward, especially in understanding things uh, as far as air traffic control. Now, that's me. That's my viewpoint of what opposing bases is. So, so what is it? What was the purpose for uh, putting opposing bases together, and, and what can the listener expect? Uh, this is RH. I'll go ahead and try to hit that answer. The um, show started basically, you know, AG and I are both pilots, as you may have heard on the show. We both have an aviation background. And uh, at the beginning of 2018, we started having conversations about a few podcasts we had both heard and, you know, thought, hey, you know what? People ask us questions at work all the time, and they know we have some aviation background in the airplane. And now we're controllers, so it started really organically through people asking us questions at work. And uh, you know, one day we said, "Hey, we could probably do a podcast and answer a lot of questions." And it kind of took off from there. Ag, yeah. Um, then the research started on how to do a podcast. Um, you kind of have all this information that you want to put out, and then the next hurdle is, well, how do we? How do you even do this? And it's yeah, it's not the most straightforward process uh, out there, and there's a hundred different ways to do it. So uh, we jumped through those hurdles and finally got off and, and got started and um, tried to come up, I guess, with our own content for maybe the first few episodes until we had enough people asking questions to then drive the show, and that's basically what drives the show now. Yeah, and some yeah. Great, great questions there, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean that's what's driving the show. Most of the most of the show is based on either a listener question or a topic that we thought might be, you know, start a conversation. And they usually last a couple episodes. We might talk about the same thing uh, a few times. So um, the the listeners drive the show though, and their feedback and their questions and how they're interacting with us is how we move forward with the show. So it's a lot of fun, and we're, we're getting to know a lot of people too. So. Yeah, and quite the following. The one thing that I noticed is that uh, well, a lot of folks that do write in, very experienced, you know, and uh, and all walks of life. I shouldn't say that, but all walks of life. But it's kind of cool to see guys like myself and the airlines asking questions, et cetera. Um, you know, one thing I'm curious about, is there something that you get a lot of questions about? Is there a, a couple of specific topics that people maybe struggle with that you help them out with? You know, we get that question all the time, and I think that is the hardest question <laughs> for us to ask. Uh, we get we get so I mean, it is a pretty broad range. Um, we get a lot of we've talked a lot about VFR flight following topics, just I guess in general, um, IFR clearances, airborne light. An approach clearance um, that's brought up a lot. RH, I don't know. What do you think? What else would you add to the list? Yeah, we uh, so our listeners kind of span the aviation spectrum. We have you know private pilots that are just starting off and flying. We have commercial aviation experts, if you will, and then we have people that you know aren't pilots at all. So um, 
you know, AG mentioned it. They, the VFR flight following questions have driven a lot of topics. Some of the nuances of what we're actually saying when we say it, maybe the meaning of clearances. Uh, we've gotten really deep into uh, reroutes and explaining the boundaries of airspace really don't coincide with what the pilot sees on their map. Um, we've tried to interact through the, you know, um, trying to understand the technology that's available to general aviation now that's been a, a learning curve for, for both of us. Um, but there really isn't, outside of a few general topics, you know, VFR flight following is definitely a big one. We encourage that. There's just... I think a ton of diversity in the type of issues we talk about. That's what makes it fun. It's different every week, even though it's air traffic and aviation driven. There's there's a lot of variety each week. I think. Yeah. Now, now, sorry guys, this is Russ. Come on, now you guys just finished like four episodes in a row on ADSB. <laughs> I was just about to say that, Russ. Um, I was just about to say ADSB recently has been a huge topic. Um, it yes, you're right. It it drove four episodes in a row um, that we that we just hit ADSB stuff, what we're seeing, um, what we're not seeing, what we are able to tell pilots about if their ADSB is functioning properly, um, if it's not. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised that we, I, I, I don't want to say it like this, but we didn't really care. It doesn't affect a lot Um of the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, it can in at certain times help us to reduce separation um, way out on the fringes of the scope, but that is that has been fairly rare. It hasn't impacted us um, directly in a radar operation as much as people thought. Um, at least that was my perception of it. A lot of people were surprised about the lack of impact that it had. Yeah, ADSB was obviously a big uh, change for the general aviation side, having to put the equipment in the plane and spending years wondering, all right, when the light final, uh, switch finally gets turned on, what's going to change? And, you know, like AG said, we, we really didn't notice that much of an issue or a change, but our airspace is generally flat. Uh, we have great coverage in most areas. There's only a few exceptions in our airspace. So... Some of the advantages that controllers may see, we, we didn't experience in our airspace. But, you know, that you're right. Uh, that was a huge addition <laughs> to uh, each of the airplanes and what they thought it was going to do. And we kind of, maybe we demystified it a little bit, that it really wasn't that much of a change on the controlling side. You know, Russ, you, you bring up a good point, though. Um, one of the things that we talked about in the last episode, which just came out before this episode, so a lot of uh, co-hosts haven't been able to really listen to that, but that was with Roy Brewer talking about the challenges from the standpoint of an owner in ADSB, and I think that's there was a lot of angst there, but some really interesting things that he had mentioned is both, first of all, his airplane that's a warbird doesn't have an actual electrical system, number one. Number two was the fact when he installed his ADSB. Uh, he learned a little something about interrogation and uh, the air traffic controller's ability to interrogate his ADSB. There are some shops out there that don't have the ability to actually interrogate the ADSB to make it work. Um, so you first have to have that happen. And uh, he went through the whole process as to how he finally was able to get his ADSB working. And it was just because of that. So uh, for you guys, did you, have you seen this as a problem and are you able to say interrogate somebody's ADSB or not? We have an indication on our scope where we can tell if the ADSB equipment is, is working properly. And we can also see if they don't have it. Um, but if, if they don't have it or if they do and it's not spitting out the correct information or it's not being, uh, I don't know if it's what the proper terminology is on the aircraft side, but if it's not functioning properly, we can see it, but it really doesn't make a difference to us because it's not the only that airplane. So um, at the beginning when the testing phase started, I think there was a lot of confusion with the, uh, the advisory circular on what the pilots actually had to do to accomplish that testing and make sure it was working. And that caused a ton of confusion on the air traffic side because we knew that there was testing that needed to be done, but I think there was a big gap of knowledge on what airspace they needed to be in, what they needed to do while they were there, how long they needed to be there. Um, but yeah, we can, and I can, we can actually see targets that aren't, uh, you know, they're just squawking VFR. We can 
we can input a, a key entry on our keyboard keyboard to find out who that airplane is now that's one small addition that that has helped us a little bit with it but uh yeah i know it was a challenge on the ga side and i think over the last few months it kind of worked out some of the kinks i think most people are used to it and you know as far as ADSB is concerned, I know you have a lot of stuff out on your podcast. We weren't—I don't want to get too far into the woods on that. Just know that uh, it's a wonderful—I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I actually was Tom with Tom the other day, flying in uh, my little Cherokee, and the traffic that I could see from that was was just awesome. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, the other thing that I absolutely love about ADSB, and I was actually fortunate enough about five years ago to do the test flight on the Airbus for uh, ADSB in and out and uh, really really actually you know just fascinating to see that um, these units are out there and there's something that you know is helping people and kind of going you know going towards you know helping you as an air traffic controller uh, enable the separation but it, it was surprised when you said that in the in the beginning here that really hasn't changed your guys uh view as far as from air traffic controllers viewpoint has it no it's uh it's been seamless i mean we know it got turned on and more airplanes have it now than than, than prior to the uh, turn on date but you know from an air traffic separation standpoint in, a, in our unique airspace it has not been that much of a change no Okay, cool, cool. Uh, but uh, anyway, going back to uh, as far as the uh, the other air traffic control issues that uh, you guys are commonly working with, both from an airline and also from a general aviation standpoint, and I'd love to ask this question from, with air traffic controllers. Uh, and it's uh, something that I didn't put in the show notes, so I, I just want to kind of surprise you with this. From the standpoint of an air traffic controller, if you're listening to, say, you know, a general aviation pilot and you're listening to an air uh, transport pilot like an airline pilot is there in your when you start listening do you know right away that these are a professional pilot or do you see a difference in other words in the way they communicate uh, to the air traffic controllers AJ, i'll let you hit that one okay yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah a sticky I, would, one. I would say i would say um yeah absolutely um and you do. There are exceptions to every rule. Um, sometimes you will you will find a real confident sounding, you know, newer GA pilot. Um, but typically, what's the separation is just the sound of confidence in their voice, um, and that makes such a huge difference in your, in the controller's confidence in the pilot as far as their readback their compliance with an instruction um, and I guess that the controllers ease, you know, it, it does, it puts them at ease. It puts a controller at ease. I know as a pilot, it puts me at ease when the controller sounds like they're confident that they're, that they know what they're doing. And I think it goes the other way as well. Um, and controllers will get a little bit uneasy if they have a pilot that starts to sound like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Okay. I guess I can do that kind of a response. Uh, I mean, that's what, what do you think? R-H? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a, you know, the overlying word you can use to describe the spectrum on the radio is, is confidence. And you think about it, a typical airline pilot may work, you know, or be in an airplane for 20 hours in one week. That might be the duration of entire years worth of flying for uh some pilots so imagine the confidence they get after you know that much time on the radio and that's i i agree with you you can tell some of the confidence issues and it definitely feels better on the controlling side when you know that when you spit out something quickly or something that might be a little more complicated or needs to be done right now the way we are asking you to do it 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 does give us a lot more confidence when we're giving those type of instructions to somebody with more experience. But, you know, I'd say in general, though, it's, it's more, it's, it's not like they all GA pilots sound, you know, timid on the radio. A lot of them sound really on top of it, professional and, 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 you know, you wouldn't notice a difference. So it's, that's another good thing about the airspace we're in. We, we have, uh, you know, several different types of, of clients, if you will, in the airspace. And, you know, we have to be prepared to, speak at everybody's level 
is and, and do our jobs consistently throughout each of those pilots. So it's fun in that way. Yeah, I think yeah, that's. I think that's a great way to put it. Is speaking at everybody's level, and regardless of what kind of aircraft the pilot is flying, if there's there can be language barrier issues, um, there can be um, experience level issues where you're as a controller, you're tailoring your instructions, your rate of speech, um, the complexity of the instructions, and maybe you're limiting. Instead of, you know, lumping in three things at once, maybe with a less experienced guy, I'm only going to give one instruction at a time, and I'm not expecting, you know, a quick readback. I'll save that uh, instruction where I know I might have a delayed response until I, until I know that I have time to do it. So um, sometimes prioritizing who you're going to talk to and what you're going to tell them it's not necessarily in the order that you might think of uh, in terms of operational necessity, but you've got to kind of weave it into, hey, when I give this guy an instruction, it could be just dead silence on the on the frequency for, you know, five seconds, which feels like an eternity sometimes to a controller. So you're, you know, you're factoring that sort of um, response in. Uh, it's definitely something that, that you learn because a new controller is not that that's completely out of their awareness. I mean, it is so far from the, that is the last thing they're thinking about. And you could tell because they'll go to that guy when they needed to be turned a jet, you know, that's doing 250 on the base and they need to be turning him to final, not talking to the student pilot is going to take two minutes to do the reset. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> You know, interestingly, I, I've listened to guys that were, uh, you know, folks that are professional airline pilots, and you see them flub up a lot, too. So I always like to tell my students, hey, look at these guys. They make mistakes, too. And um, and that's one of the things that I think that you guys do on your podcast. You make people realize how, you know, we're all, we all make mistakes no matter what level we're at. And, uh, and it really comes out in it. You know, interestingly, on your podcast, though, when you, you talked about air traffic control, but it's so much more than that. I mean, you get into issues not just of air traffic control, but of flying. So how have you found that uh, your podcast has evolved over the time from when you started? Uh, that's a real good question. You know, at, back at the beginning, uh, <laughs> and I've gone back and listened to a few snippets. Uh, we started, uh, war- we are in our third year now, so... Um, the show sounded a little more, uh, well, we weren't as relaxed. We weren't having as much fun as we are now. We've gotten, you know, much better at relaxing, kind of enjoying the interaction. There's a lot of sarcasm sometimes in the, uh, in the feedback and they know the things that, that we really advocate for flight following, speaking up, call air traffic all the time, you know, use your, use your assertiveness the best you can and i think they've enjoyed kind of hearing us become more human we're not just robots i know my voice sounds like a robot sometimes and they joke about that and air traffic controllers in general you know a lot of them speak in a monotone voice and you know i think we've put a little human side on on an otherwise uh, administrative and kind of a robotic you know we're, we're we're throwing out instructions and telling you what to do but we're humans, and that's. I think that's the part of the show that I've, I can tell has evolved. Is you know our personalities have come out. We're getting to know the audience. We're getting to understand what type of issues they have, and we've just gotten more comfortable, uh, you know, saying those type of things. You guys also are very actively involved in aviation from a pilot perspective, and we really haven't talked about that. So I guess I'll start with Alpha Golf. What uh, what what's your background been as far as actually flying aircraft? Yes, yeah, so I started uh, back in 2005. I, I went to um, Army Flight School, got accepted, and the first thing I ever flew was a helicopter. So, um, and I think that's a that's a fairly unusual, you know, route um, in terms of the aviation community. I think it's a pretty small percentage of people that skipped the airplane part. Um, even other branches of the military, their fixed wing guy or their helicopter guys started out flying airplanes. So I totally skipped that part and flew helicopters um, for 13, 14 years. Um, 
ended up flying Chinooks for most of that, uh, about 12 years of flying Chinooks, and then got picked up um, in a reserve unit that's closer to the house now, flying King Airs. So I, I, I barely have any fixed wing time, maybe 100 hours in the actual airplane, not counting sim time or anything. So very low time airplane guy, but at least now I've seen both sides of that, of the, the rotary and fixed wing thing. Um, about 2,000 hours total time, most of that being helicopter time. So you decided not to uh, stick with the flying side. You went into the other side, and that's air traffic control. What made you go that route? <laughs> so <laughs> I was in flight school. Um, I was getting ready to be done. I had maybe three or four months left in flight school, uh, and I was going back to be in a reserve unit. Um, basically, my options at that point were, you know, go back into the reserves and, and finish college because I was doing college at the same time. And I thought, well, let me just, you know, poke around for jobs and see what's out there. So I went on USA Jobs. I, I selected my filters to be no, no train or no prerequisites, basically. So I'm bringing nothing to the table. What job can I get, you know, with the federal government? And Air, this air traffic thing came up, and I thought, no way. That's there's no way that I can just be some random guy off the street and come be an air traffic controller. And sure enough, I got picked up. Now it took years. It was a couple years from the time I applied until I actually was going in for interviews and going through the selection process. Um, but I did get picked up, and I mean, I'm. I don't know. I'm really glad that I did. I think it was kind of one of those, you know, chance in a million kind of things. Um, but I mean, I was drawn to it, I guess, from flying. So at the time I was flying, at the time I applied, I was a commercial instrument. I did have a commercial instrument to take it. You know, I had gone through that point in flight school. So um, it kind of made sense. Uh, I knew the lingo at least, but it is a totally different job than flying. Yeah, for sure. It sure is. So do you get to fly at all now? Yeah. So our, I mean, normally I'd be flying about 110, 120 hours a year. That would, those would be my minimums, basically 110 hours a year. Anything over that is, is basically whatever I can fit in, you know, in my time off, uh, in my reserve weekends. Um, it's not unusual for guys in the unit to do well over that, maybe 150, 200 hours a year in the reserves. Right now, even prior to, to <clears throat> excuse me, even prior to the, uh, the COVID-19 issue, we had cut hours significantly. So the reserves had sort of reallocated some money and we had basically cut flying hours in half for the next two years to move some money around. Um, so I had, you know, I had basically gone to, to flying once a month just to keep my, or yeah, just to keep my currency. Um, so I'm not flying a ton right now. I'm growing a huge beard. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing I, I don't get to do very often, uh, being in the reserves. Um, so I, I am enjoying that. I am kind of enjoying the break a little bit, but I'm starting to miss it for sure. How hard is that to go back and forth between the reserves and doing the air traffic control thing? It has been a challenge, um, especially when I was in Chinooks because I was having to drive five hours to get to the unit. So I was, it was, you know, 10 hours of driving just to go up there and back. Um, that was a huge strain just on time. Uh, I was spending, I was just burning a ton of time on the highway. Um, this closer unit has made that much, much easier. I can go down and fly and come back in a day easy. Um, the FAA, though, has been really, really good. I, I cannot say enough about how accommodating they've been, how easy they are to work with, and supportive they've been of my job in the reserves. So basically, when whenever I say, hey, I need to go do this, they don't ask any questions, um, so that has made it. That has made that part of it really, really easy. Well, that's good. We appreciate your service, and 
So now on the other side, Romeo Hotel, I know you're into uh, flying aircraft too. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background as far as flying it and uh, getting into air traffic control. I don't have the very cool uh, Army background like AG does, but uh, I started in back in 2000 working on my private just uh, as a hobby on the side. And then I decided I loved it and I wanted to go to flight school. I went to Florida and Orlando area and got all my ratings down there. I instructed up in uh, Massachusetts in 2003 through early 2005, and I got picked up at the regionals back then. I went, I worked at a company that no longer exists. Um, it was a, a subsidiary of a, a legacy carrier. Uh, I had a lot of fun there, um, and then my base closed, and I became a commuter. And instead of commuting from my home in North Carolina, I was uh, working out of JFK, which really changed the dynamics of the career for me. And, uh, you know, I love the flying part. The airlines are great when you actually get your hands on the yoke and can fly the plane. Uh, the commuting and the back and forth was really difficult for me. And uh, I spent a couple of years looking for something else in aviation that would keep me involved. And, you know, the timing, I, I cannot say how lucky I was with the timing. I was flying with a, a captain who knew what I was, you know, I was looking to get out. I was trying to find different ways in aviation to keep doing what I was doing, but not at the airlines. And uh, he said, why don't you go on? They're hiring air traffic controllers. And I said, well, I can't get a job doing that. You have to be a military controller. That was the assumption I had always made my entire life. And he said, no, 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 they're taking people off the street. And I said, huh. And it just turns out, and I, and I mean this, this is, this is the truth. This is a true story. The night that I flew with that captain, I went to the hotel, I went on USA Jobs, I applied to a an application window that was closing that night, and had I not applied that time, the people that applied on the next posting, I don't remember what they were called, but the next round of hiring, I would have aged out. It took me almost two years to get hired after that, and sort of the magic ticket is to, to have your offer letter from the agency before you turn 31. And I got it three months before I turned 31. So had I not flown with that one captain who was super positive, who was a really good guy, you know, had thrown that idea at me, I would not be where I'm at right now. So it was it was really luck that, that struck. And I, I haven't looked back at the airline part of it. I, miss, I do miss the flying, and I've been able to get back into that a little bit on the side. Um, um, I have some connections uh, through a, a business aviation connection that, I'm able to get into the plane and, and help out there. Um, kind of stay in the airplane, but not nearly as much flying as, as AG gets to do. I might fly less than, you know, 30 hours in a year or so. But, uh, you know, I haven't looked back. I love the air traffic side. I still love flying an airplane, and I always say I'm going to fly more, and maybe I'll get back into GA here, you know, Skyhawks and 152s locally. But it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I, this is Russ. Hey, I got a question for you guys. <laughs> it's a fun question, I hope. Uh, I, I love on your, your show all the uh, you know, super top secret locations, all the you know facilities, <laughs> and uh, the you know we're in the rectangular class Bravo or the oceanic approach control or you know you know big beach airport. <laughs> all these guys. W what's the deal with that? I mean, what? Why all the? Uh, is it just for fun or is it to kind of protect? someone or what what's the story so we don't have the benefit of you know the average listener not figuring out real quickly who we work for and you know we don't speak on behalf of our employer or our union and or the facility so from the beginning we always made up a you know fictitious name for the facility we're at not too difficult to figure out where it is um but sort of that little veil of secrecy if you will and it sort of evolved from that we we never called our airport its real name and I don't know that we ever made a conscious decision to to use code names. It just sort of started. And then, you know, we were describing our airspace. And I don't know which one of us made up a name for an airport. And we haven't, honestly, I, we don't have a map. We haven't kept track of all the funny fake names we've made. But, you know, it's caught on. And the feedback we're getting from, you know, the, and the questions from listeners, they won't even say where they're at. They'll say, you know, a fictitious name and, you know, it's fun. It, it has added. Oh, it's it's of, hilarious. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, and I and I it you know people a lot of people are going to be able to figure out where all of them are. It's 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 funny that there's really no secrecy to it. Um, you know, Coat Factory Airport 
isn't too difficult to figure out what that is. I think that might have been one of the first ones we coded that way. But, um, you know, it just started off in that, hey, we never say our real airport. And then we just, you know, kept that theme up uh, with all the other ones. And that's really how we got on with the initials, too. Whenever we get feedback, um, you know, we, we use their initials. And, it's you know, most people aren't going to know the average Bob Smith that sends in an email. But, you know, Bravo Sierra is in tune with the whole aviation theme. And, and that's how we refer to each other at work. We... You know, we sign in and out of our positions with initials, so it kind of pulls the listener into the theme of, you know, initials and fictitious facilities, if you will. Yeah, I don't think there was ever an intention to, I mean, we never sat down and said, okay, we're going to do, we're going to make the listeners use their, you know, <laughs> use their initials. We're going to make, you know, fake names for everything. It did. It just sort of was this organic evolution of just how it how it turned out. And I guess it started out for us being, you know, plausible deniability. Oh, no, 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 that's not us. You know, we don't know yeah. anything. We don't know <laughs> anything about that. Um, <laughs> but then it just sort of took off. It has a mind of its own, I guess. Um, and we just ran with it. And it is. It's fun now. I, I enjoy it. I like, I like when listeners send stuff in and you are trying to figure Ooh. out, where is this? <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Yeah. yeah, there's some local examples that caught on. We were describing our airspace and trying to determine how do we describe, you know, we touch six different facilities around us or above us. And um, I know you guys are looking for some examples. Um, the little airports in our airspace, we have 18 airports that we run approaches to inside of um, the airspace that we work in the Tracon. Um, some of the ones we use more frequently are uh, Coat Factory Airport, Barbecue Airport to the southwest. Uh, racetrack airport to the southwest which is underneath a big bravo airport we call southwest metroplex airport uh, the big airport to our east we call duke in reference to a local basketball team uh, we call it mountain approach to the north uh, only because there's small terrain issue up there we do have a little bit of a rise in terrain up there so it's the mountains for us and then uh, i don't know where this came from but um <laughs> We call the facility to our south that abuts us uh, Vietnam because <laughs> the facility is usually tied into that for some reason. Maybe it's the um, you know the Air Force or the Army Air Force. Ah, I said it again, the Army base that's down there. But um, yeah, those are some local examples. <laughs> but I, it's been fun, I think. And, and and we may change the name of it. What it really started as a way for us to describe it to each other because we're not sitting in the same room when we record. We're not pointing to a map. So if I want to describe something, I was, you know, hey, you know, Mountain Airport to the north. And I scratched his head. Oh, I think I know what he's talking about. And, then, you know, that's how that sort of evolved and, and making it up on the fly. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought of it. I never thought of it like that. But, yeah, you're right. Half of it was just you trying to describe what we're talking about without saying the name of it <laughs> so that I would know what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, Sean, yeah. I got a quick question. Or Go ahead, Carl. No, I was going to say if you had any good ones for uh, here in the Lakeland Linder Airport. If, uh, if there, I'll have to come up with a good one. But uh, anyway, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. Oh, no, all good. I, I was going to ask you guys, both having pilot experience and being air traffic controllers, do you have any particular sort of insights that maybe non-pilot air traffic controllers might have and, and vice versa? You know, when you're flying, you kind of get – things from an ATC standpoint that other pilots not might not get if they don't have that similar experience? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think almost every show we hit on something that's sort of a, a, a myth or some sort of misunderstanding between the two. Um, and that's like, it's, like we were saying at the beginning, that's sort of how the show started. We were getting questions from other controllers like, hey, why did they say that? Like, what do you, What did they mean when they said that? Or why can't they do this routing? What does that mean? What's this equipment suffix? What are the real meanings behind that? Those type of things. I think every show would pick, there's got to be something in every one of them that someone could go, you know what? I didn't realize that. I never thought about it from that perspective. And that's where our flying background really comes in. I think we both try to get into the airplane and think, what does this sound like on the receiving end of these instructions? You know, And then you know, we can tell it from our current job of, Hey, this is this is what we mean. This is what's happening. Uh, way back at the beginning, we did an episode on autopilot. I think there was a lot of misunderstandings about what the autopilot did, and you know, a lot of controllers thought the pilots don't actually fly the plane; they just push buttons. Yeah, we all know that's not true. If you've been in an airplane and worked with an autopilot, 
so we kind of went back to the basics of that. That was how that show really started was us picking a topic, explaining it, and trying to get a conversation going. And that's how the show evolved. That's a, you know, people asking questions and saying, wait a second, I thought this, tell me more about, you know, this topic. And that's really the meat and potatoes uh, of the show is answering it from the perspective of a current controller and current pilot and, you know, how do we draw on the, both those experiences to answer this the best way we can? So I, I fly an Airbus, so I actually do just press buttons and it does everything for me. <laughs> we know <laughs> just, that, Carl. We know. Dude, I knew you were going to say that, Russ. What I, I was waiting for that dig. <laughs> Sean, did that answer your question? I'm sorry if I kind of rambled there for a second. Yeah. No, no, no. All good. Yeah, it's, it's good to kind of hear that perspective because, uh, you know, as a, as a pilot with no ATC experience, I would imagine sometimes people are flying along going, oh, man, why are they asking me to do this? And if you've got ATC experience, you can start, you know, with your situational awareness, start kind of putting together what's going on and kind of get a better understanding of, of why you're being asked to do something and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you do have a, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you do have a tendency to do that when you're flying is you're trying to figure out what he, what the controller's trying to do, trying to get into his head. Um, and, and I, to... To piggyback on what RH was saying, one of the things that I had no idea about as a pilot, I was a pilot first, was all the stuff that's going on in the background that that you have no idea as a pilot that is that this guy's doing, coordinating, talking to other facilities, talking to somebody else in the room, trying to figure out a flight plan problem. He's up over at the keyboard typing. He's talking on so many different frequencies sometimes, and so he's talking, you know, and somebody else is trying to read back a clearance on another frequency that you don't hear, and now you're stepping on him. And that was when I started working air traffic, it was kind of like a light bulb went off, like, oh, my gosh, there is so much going on in the background. And this frequency thing, I think, was one of the big ones. I think RH has talked about that before, too, is I had no idea this guy is talking on, like, six frequencies, you know, to airplanes all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big illusion. With the, I, I could never figure it out. I don't know why I never put two and two together when I was a pilot. But controllers have the ability to transmit on several f- uh, frequencies at one time with the push of one button. And the pilots can only hear the pilots that are responding on the frequency that they're dialed into. Whereas the controller is going to hear the responses on, you know, if we're combined up and working multiple sectors with one person people are stepping on each other but they don't even hear the other pilot because they're on different frequencies that bridge of knowledge there i feel like i had an epiphany one day like oh man i've missed this detail for years and now i get it (laughs) uh it's it's overwhelming at first well guys i think both of you really just just hit the nail on the head of one of the things that i think is great about your podcast is is exactly that there's so much that that most pilots have no idea go, that's going on with what air traffic control is doing. And and even worse, there's so many, not just misunderstandings, but just complete bad information out there about, about what you're doing. Why aren't they answering me and this kind of thing? Well, if, if anybody just listens to, man, just two or three episodes of the podcast, they're going to get so much education out of kind of the behind the scenes work that, that you guys are doing and, and how they can help in some ways and, and what maybe they're doing that's not very helpful, but they think it is. You guys have talked about that several times about, you know, pilots thinking they're helping, but they aren't really, but there's just so much great information in there. It's one of the things I think you guys are doing a great service for, for pilots out there and, and just aviation enthusiasts in general, just to understand this whole thing. Yeah. Thank you, Russ. That's very nice of you to say the, that's the I think the best part about the show is that it evolved into not just us spewing a bunch of knowledge and trying to share what you know we've learned in the last twenty years, but responding to more of the listeners and the variety of different questions we have. That's the fun part about the show. So um, thank you for that. Well, guys, you know one of the things that I think is again, just as we all said, that's great is we're always learning something in aviation, and you uh, bring things from a much uh, different perspective and are just a modicum 
of knowledge and i think it's just just awesome what you guys do but uh but be anyway before we go into uh i would love to hear about the future i know tom has a quick question so tom what would you have uh, for the folks here no, I was just listening, and, and I appreciate the conversation as well, and and uh, what you guys are providing as far as a service between controllers and and um, pilots. And you know, as an instructor, I was I was listening to you know um, how you've taught before with with an airplane, and now you have the controller side. Um, one of the greatest things that one of my first instructors ever did for me was um, to bring me up into a control tower so that I could see the people that are attached to the voices that were magically coming through my headset when I first started learning how to fly. I mean, it was like just this complete different world, a completely different language. And when I made that connection, um, I too, I got to see people doing multiple tasks at the same time and, and got to see that amazing view from the top of a control tower. Um, so you guys do like, um, I guess, encourage other listeners to um, maybe reach out and um, actually go see their local controllers and maybe learn something um, up close and personal if they can. And they're, uh, they're not big, scary things like we most think they are. You know, it's not with big beards. and Well, actually, in your case, I guess there would be a big beard since you're not <laughs> flying in the gar, but you're right, Tom. That's I mean, right. It's just <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kind of address the tour issue. I, I encourage anybody with their instructor or even if they're out of the instruction phase and they're, you know, a weekend warrior uh, pilot, take the time to reach out to the local facility. If it's a tower or an up-down tower or tracon, and even going to a center, all of them would be just a, you can learn so much in a, in, a, in a short tour with a facility. You can ask localized questions to the controllers that you work with the most. You can really get a ton out of a tour. It's not just seeing an old building and, and meeting the controllers. It's seeing what the controller is looking at, the type of equipment we're using, uh, what sort of other things are happening in the room. You can really learn a lot in, in a tour. AG and I have done you know, over the last 10 years in our facility, we've seen tons of tours come in and a lot of local pilot groups have come in. It really is a great, great thing. So if there's if there's a good takeaway for some of your listeners is don't be afraid to reach out. Of course, now is a terrible time to ask for it. It won't be approved right now. But when we come out of this COVID-19 uh, phase, certainly reach out and, and try to get that accomplished. You'll really learn a lot. Is there any requirements for uh, a tour of the tower or your facility, I should say? Uh, that could be arranged locally through an administrative hours. And, uh, you know, I believe every facility in the U.S., you have to be a U.S. citizen. Um, and you'll provide identification when you come. But that can be set up through the air traffic manager at the facility or, or management at the facility. And, it, you know, the number you call for your clearance may be a good time to ask, hey, is there a number I can call to get uh, in touch with the facility? And get a, a number that's you know somebody administrative can can set that up. Yep, it, I, we encourage it. I think that's a real benefit for for pilots to uh, come through and and see what they're talking to, see where they are, what they do. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And thanks for for mentioning that. One of the things that I think is really important about podcasts is they evolve. And uh, not to put you guys too much on the spot, and uh, I know there might be some discrepancy. Is where are you going next? Where are you going with the podcast now? AG, you want to hit that one? <laughs> um, I, th <laughs> right now, I feel like um, the the biggest thing for us is just continuing to. I mean, we're just trying to grow. Still, we're still in that growth. You know, get our listener base um, phase down. I feel like, and. Right now, we're just trying to reach out, do you know interviews like this um, that we I mean we really appreciate um, shows like yours having us on and trying to get you know the message out there because we feel like we do bring a unique perspective to to the NAS to the national airspace and um, we want to share it with people and we love answering questions and I think right now. Um, you know, RH, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to just truck ahead on this, on the path that we're on right now um, and just see where it takes us. And I guess that's, that's kind of been the, the whole thing from the beginning is it, it has sort of evolved and we've had to adapt 
to what it has, you know, formed into, I guess. Yeah, I'll add to that. We have, um, you know, prior to this, the COVID-19, we had a fly-in schedule. That's one more step we're taking to, you know, meet more people, bring more people in and kind of face-to-face and see them. We're still going to do that. Um, recently, we started doing a little bit of streaming of our show recording, which has turned into a comedy act. Um, <laughs> setting up for a show and recording with the chat room in the background has has been fun. We've only done that a couple of times. But, uh, you know, those are a couple of things we're dipping into is really, you know, a podcast. You obviously don't see our faces. Uh, we've we've kind of come back from behind the veil a little bit with with our face, and we met a lot of great listeners at uh, Air Venture last year. We hope to do that again if if that event is still on. Uh, I guess we're waiting to see that. But you know, like AJ said, keep trucking ahead, getting our build, uh, building up our our listener base, uh, interacting the most we can with the community, and you know, having fun. I at the beginning, I don't think I ever thought we'd have this much fun doing the show, but it is a lot of fun, and and I'm having a blast. So. Yeah, I agree. And we're having a lot of fun listening to you. And boy, I tell you, it's been uh, a wonderful having you folks on here. Uh, just a, a a great pair the two of you are. And I love listening to the podcast. You really feed off one another. And not only do you entertain, but you also uh, help us learn something, which I think is terrific. And uh, Romeo Hotel and Alpha Golf, just thanks for coming on today. Carl, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, we've been uh, speaking with Opposing uh, Bases, Air Traffic Talk, and that's Romeo Hotel and Alpha Golf. You can find them at OpposingBases.com, uh, YouTube. Uh, you can also find them at Stitcher and uh, also, of course, download them on Apple and the podcast app. But really, the best way to do it is OpposingBases.com. A ton of questions come into them, and I love listening to them, as do everybody else here at the podcast inspirational they're also very informative and you won't go away from one of their shows without learning something and that's something i think we all appreciate them for well folks this is carl valeri and the rest of the crew here at the stuck mike avcast we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying don't forget to tune in to opposing bases air traffic talk with romeo hotel and alpha golf You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.